Ladies and gentlemen, transmitting direct from Lion's Den Studios in Los Angeles, California, Crew Studios and Danube Productions bring you The Conduit, bringing together motivated artists to share their experience and to pull back the curtain for a first-hand look at a life in the arts. This episode, our guest is Steinway artist Ricky Pajot, pianist for Madonna, Christina Aguilera, and many others. So adjust your antenna, relax, and tune in. The program is about to begin. All right. Welcome, everyone, to episode 16 of The Conduit, a podcast where I sit down and talk to amazing, courageous people about making a living in the arts. Today, my guest is Ricky Pajot who not only has played piano and accordion for, get this, everyone from Madonna, Christina Aguilera, Diana Ross, Cher, Jill Scott, Earth, Wind & Fire, and the late great Dr. John. He's also toured with Cirque du Soleil, become a Steinway piano artist, and formed a group with his wife and acclaimed singer Desi DeLauro in his spare time called Parlor Social, which is a fresh and unique mashup of 1920s and 30s Harlem Renaissance jazz with contemporary urban sounds mixed in. Ricky's a student of tradition, but he likes to build on it and add in his own flavor to create something new and unique. Like one of his heroes, whom he now calls a friend, Herbie Hancock, Ricky is always striving to improve, remains humble, and man, can he play. So sit back, relax, and have a listen to my conversation with Ricky Pajot. All right, Ricky, welcome to The Conduit, man. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Dan. Oh, my pleasure, man, my pleasure. Well, I want to dive back in just to kind of get some background on you and uh, kind of what inspired you with music and uh, and made you want to jump on this crazy roller coaster ride. And uh, <laughs> I understand your dad played bass, your uncle played guitar, your brother Steve plays flute and produces, and your little brother Anthony plays drums. Mm-hmm. What music was playing at home growing up? Um, I want to talk about you growing up in Montreal and you guys had a very musical family. So right, I'm interested right. in what that was like, what that looked like. I mean, growing up, um, I grew up in Montreal in the, um the first part of my youth was uh, in the neighborhood called Côte de Neige, which is an extremely multi-ethnic, integrated neighborhood. Um, And um, I mean, I grew up obviously hearing my dad play the bass, my my big brother, like you said, playing the flute, and my dad just just played music all the time around the house, just, you know, uh, Stevie Wonder, Earth Wind, um, Jaco Pastorius, uh, Weather Report. Um, nice. all, the, all, all types of music, um, Haitian yeah. music, obviously. And yeah. um, growing up, I mean, as a family, we, we started doing concerts. I started playing the guitar when I was six. Oh, wow. <clears throat> and then, and uh, I held on to that for about a year. I didn't like it. And then um, okay. I started piano, took a little break to find, to find myself, like they say. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and then started uh, the piano when I was eight. Okay. And um, once I started playing the piano, I mean, uh, my dad got me, my first keyboard was a DX7. So I just started playing, uh, right away they put me into classical lessons. So I started playing uh, classical music. And then um, 
And then as a family, we just play, you know, we just jammed. We just jam every Sunday from that point on. We jam like yeah. the Beatles. We jam um, all types of music. Uh, Led Zeppelin. Uh, yeah. uh, Stairway to Heaven. My brother would play the flute. He would play the melody on the flute, and I'd play the, the oh, keyboard wow. part. Oh, um, yeah. wow. Um, the Double Dutch Bus. I have, my dad has an old recording of us, of me rapping. That was way earlier. Oh, yeah. And I was sitting, I was <laughs> nice. rapping to the double Dutch bus, and my brother would play the with the recorder. Nice. And my dad on bass, dunk dunk dunk. Yeah, it was. Yeah, my dad has all those recordings back home. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, I should post that at some point. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, man. Um, and then yeah, family jam. Yeah, exactly. And then um, and then when I was twelve, my parents had my little brother. And yeah. that's when we moved to the suburbs, and okay. um, we started doing family concerts out there. And that was like in the West Island. They call that the West Island in Montreal. Okay. We opened up for this band called um, Heart Rouge. It was a famous Canadian band. Okay. And um, and then yeah, that was that's that was basically evolution. We just you know do jams all the time. Uh, and when we go to New York, we jam with my uncle, his basement. I recorded on his album. Uh, well, we all did, but uh, that was my first ever studio session where I recorded wow. on my uncle's album. Oh wow! Yeah, the um, I think the album called is called Miraguan from uh, Guy Pajot. Okay. And I had a solo on it and everything. Uh, wow. A keyboard solo. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean it's just you know it was music all the time. Um, obviously yeah. sports also when I was growing up. Oh yeah. Um, I'd play you know all types of sports, hockey. Uh, ball hockey, not ice hockey. Okay. I'd go skating. Uh, I'd go skating, but ice hockey in a team, I never did that. But um, yeah, I'd play like street hockey, baseball, basketball. Right. Um, yeah, it was it was it was fun times growing up. That's good, man. That's good. <laughs> wow, so uh, amazing! What a great experience to get to play music with your family. I'm so jealous of that because in so many cultures, and I know your family was Haitian and you were talking about um, so many different cultures where you grew up, mm -hmm. you know, and I know in Brazil, that's a, you know, music is so much a part of the culture. So having that uh, is such an amazing thing to grow up with where the whole family's just immersed in music. I'm, I'm jealous, that's amazing. Well, it's funny that you bring that up because even in the Haitian culture, when yeah. even in the Haitian culture, like, if you're not if you're not pursuing a profession like you know doctor or nurse or anything like yeah. that especially music it's not it's kind of frowned upon and it was it was um hmm. it was something that my dad always talked about because even my big brother who was uh an award-winning flute classical flute player um yes. around the country when it was yeah. time for him to go study flute he wanted to go to juilliard and he was kind of discouraged from doing oh, it. Oh, really? So, yeah. Um, it's crazy. So would you say your family was kind of unique within the community as far as wanting to all pursue well, music? Well, it's kind of like, it was kind of like the peer pressure that kind of like, you know, led my dad to tell my brother, you know, go study something else just to fall back on. Okay. So my brother went yeah. and studied um, electronics, engineering. Yeah. Uh, so when he graduated from college, that's what he went. He went and got nine, a nine to five and not really pursue what he really wanted to do. Yeah. Not until later, he okay. he decided to drop everything and just go to go to the U.S. We grew up in Montreal. 
Yeah. So go to the U.S. and and pursue his career. So he went to New York and just like you know, and this is like '90s. So this is when like hip hop okay. was taking off. Bad Boy Records, right? Diddy was taking off, and yeah. every studio and every street, cor- every uh, corner in uh, like Times Square area had a studio, famous studio that you just walk into and just like you'd see Biggie, you'd see um, Busta Rhymes, you see everyone. Yeah. So, wow. but um, yeah, speaking, it was it's a really good point that you bring that up because culturally it was hard for my big my big brother when I decided to pursue music. It was already a flipped in. It was a flip for my parents to see what struggles my big brother went to that he wasn't able yeah. to go to Juilliard like he wanted to because he could have got in very easily. So oh, yeah. when I decided I wanted to pursue a career in music, they were like, "Oh, okay, go ahead." <laughs> you know, what I'm saying so the difference was <laughs> it was pretty it was pretty blatant, yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Well, I I just uh, you know that that's great to hear. Uh, great to hear that. Um, um, I'm just so anytime a family is regardless of the peer pressure from the outside the fact that you guys had that together to bond over is just yeah it's amazing it's so beautiful that you guys all got to share the music thing together yeah. that's a, yeah. a blessing yeah yeah wow well so you i know you said you started on guitar and it didn't really take and that was kind of me with flute too i was like nope <laughs> not gonna work yeah uh but uh, at eight years old, you started studying classical piano uh, at, uh, I don't want to, my French is terrible, Pierre Laporte School in Montreal. Yeah, that was uh, when I... all kinds of music. Yeah, that's, music that's for classes. high school, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, so, um, so it was... I mean, we call it high school in Montreal, but I guess out here you guys call it like junior high, so seventh grade. Yeah. From seventh grade yeah, to twelfth right. grade, um, okay. I was at Pierre Laporte, so that's a multidisciplinary wow. art school. Okay. And were you, obviously, it sounds like a pretty serious school, so were you taking private lessons first? What were the, what was the road like to get into this school? How well, I was taking, so when I started when I was eight, um, I was taking yeah. private lessons with a nun, actually, in a, uh, in a nun convent. Okay. And yeah, yeah. Um, she would tell me all the time, you're going to go far, you're going to be a teacher one day. And I was looking at her, and I'm like nine years old. I'm like, I'm not going to teach. That's so boring. And <laughs> I ended up teaching. But um, she yeah. she believed in me so much. And funny thing is, here's a little fun fact. Um, right before my lesson, yeah, the present prime minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, was yeah. taking his lessons there. So I see him right? every week. No I bump into him every week. <laughs> oh, wow, that's wild! Wow, yeah. and that's actually that's I awesome. haven't. I don't think anybody knows that. This is the first time I'm saying it. I think. Conduit exclusive, everybody. Exactly. Yeah. Mic <laughs> wow, drop. that's there so you go. cool. That's uh, amazing. Yeah. So I'd yeah. see I'd see Justin every week, and we'd say hi. Super nice guy. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. And still uh, well loved as well. Yeah. It depends who you ask. You know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. yeah I, people will complain about everything. So politics. Yeah. yeah exactly. Um, um, yeah. Well, that's crazy. So yeah. So um, so she led. She got me. She helped me get into that art school when I was okay. uh, 13. Okay. So um, even already by then, I was already doing like recitals and stuff like that. But that art school was a serious professional art school where you had theory, you had choir, you had ensemble oh. classes, you had orchestra, yeah. you had ear training, um, yeah. you name it. We had history, uh, music history, uh, concerts, almost like at you know almost every other month so wow. it was a very um 
very intense school and you had to audition to get there and they would only take like you know the best kids and especially if you live especially if you didn't live in a neighborhood because funny thing is when my parents moved out to the suburbs we were closer to that school when i was in there when i was living in cote de neige it was a 10 minute 10 minute walk but when we this when my parents moved that was my first year at that school so i had to commute every day by train so (laughs) so um so uh so yeah that was that was my upbringing at that school and it was a great school i love it and it's kind of sad today i don't even think it um they have the same program anymore Um, they lost government funding um okay and it's really unfortunate that you know music is not it's not it's not a priority anymore the arts are not priority anymore in in schools yeah that's interesting because in the states too when i was in junior high and high school out here we had like stage band i played we did hair and all these musicals i was in the pit band for that and music was i mean it wasn't as funded as in some places but there was a budget for music education and you could get instruments and play and stage band and play in choir or you know sing in choir and all these things and I was wondering what that was like in Canada as well it yeah. sounds like it's changed as well there yeah 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 oh, yeah sadly man. yeah it has so you said choir as well did you sing do you sing mm-hmm. as well I, yeah oh, cool. I sang in choir I sang nice. in um and we'd sing actually um every year we'd sing at this uh, amazing hall it's like the Disney hall of Montreal it's okay. called uh, La Place des Arts and every every year our school our choir would sing with the Montreal Symphony Orchestra wow we do a concert wow. every year with them so I got to work with uh, Charles Dutois which he was a famous uh, conductor okay and um, I mean the intensity when he walked in the room we were like so intimidated <laughs> we, were, <laughs> we had to be on top of our stuff because uh, he, he did not mess around and you'd be surrounded by professionals so it was an opportunity yeah. for us as students to be surrounded by professionals and see how they Rise conducted the themselves exactly yeah. so yeah it was it was a great program I wow. can't say anything bad about it about it I had a lot of fun made a lot of friends and a lot of friends my best friend who um, actually shout out to Nicholas he was my best man at my wedding we're still best friends oh. and we oh, met at that great. school yeah that's great and whenever I go over to his place we, we jam on the piano like we used to back in the day like just oh. to do it and we just jam Oh, yeah. that's beautiful. Yeah. Nice, man. Well, so obviously this is junior, what we, we, we call junior high out here, but uh, you guys called high school there. You're you're doing all this. You're studying classical. You're singing in the choir. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in, in at around that age group, you're hearing a lot of music on the radio, and yeah. friends are listening to all kinds of different music. So what's yeah. in... What all is inspiring you? You have so many musical, you know, you have so many different things that you love musically. What was inspiring you back then as well as classical music back, and singing in the choir? Back then it was just classical and hip hop. Yeah. <laughs> That's all okay. I listened to. Um, yeah. Yeah, hip hop, yeah. R&B, obviously, like I said, it was like early 90s. So it's like you're listening to, yeah. you know, um, I name all the bands in the 90s I was listening to. Yeah. Um, Grandubian, um, Big Daddy Kane. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Public Tribe Enemy, Quest, Tribe Called Quest. Soul. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so that's at the the in the heydays of uh, of of hip hop. So wow. I was yeah. kind of a I was a kind of a classical nerd. Anything outside of classical, I really wouldn't. I don't think yeah. I really listened to other than hip hop, R and B, and stuff like that. It's only when I, go, you know, grew older, I started appreciating other types of music. 
So talk to me about this because hip hop from my dad played jazz. So I had jazz in the house a lot, but rap music and hip hop, especially golden era hip hop, like tribe and De La and all this yeah. stuff, they sampled so much from all over the place. Yeah, yeah. And it turned me on not only to hip hop, but all the stuff they were sampling with. Did it have the same effect on you? Just it did. And the funny thing is my dad would walk into the room. Like if he heard a hip hop song, he'd walk into the room. He's like, you know, that's a Joe, Joe Sample. You know, that's a Joe Sample oh, yeah. song. Like, he'd rock in there. He's like, you know, that's Bob James, right? You know, huh? right. what? And then you go check it out. You go check out the liner notes. And it's like, oh, wow, he's right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's yeah, exactly. Not as, um, so it's just, um, it was, I mean, hip hop back then, it was just great musical education too. And, you know, and yeah. you learned of these names, Ron Carter, like who's, Mm. You see Ron Carter on bass on Trap Called Quest, it's like Ron Carter, right. and then you go check it out, and you're like, oh, Ron Carter, yeah. And then you recognize his name from all the jazz recordings. Yeah. So back then it was, especially that we had liner notes back then, we could actually read the credits and check out right. who sampled what. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, that's, it opened the door to a lot of, and, I'll, I'm, and also, I mean, those those older guys, those guys who were being sampled, it was a good opportunity for them to extend their legacy as well into a new generation. Right. right. You know, you listen to music nowadays and they're all sampling like stuff from the 90s. They're like, oh my God. Yeah. Is, you know, it's like, they just sampled there, that. I grew up listening to that. <laughs> so, yeah, there there is a, it's one thing, you know, I mean, whatever, every generation has music that's strictly theirs and, you know, we get older and we kind of, you know, have our opinions about stuff. But one thing I did love about rap from that era is it was building upon a legacy of culture. You know, it was like, yeah, they were sampling, like you said, Ron Carter and Herbie Hancock and then Lee Perry and reggae they were stuff. They're continuing like, the lineage, the lineage yeah. of, of black American music. They were continuing that. It was. And at first, those those older guys didn't like it. Yeah, but obviously when when they saw the benefits, especially the financial benefits of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. of uh, getting your music sampled, they're like, "Oh right. yeah, go ahead, yeah, <laughs> go ahead, exactly. take it." Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, amazing. Well, um, I, I've just you've got such a great wealth in your in your bed of inspiration musically, and you went on to get a BA in jazz performance uh, at McGill in Montreal, McGill University. Mm -hmm. And how did you, what was the preparation like for that? Like how 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 much more did you need to know to get into McGill? How did you what what surprised you about McGill and what you learned there? You know, uh, in comparison to uh, the Pierre Laporte School like how different was it and how did it continue to continue your, your education well the thing is uh, in Quebec where I grew yeah. up between high school and university there's a thing called CGEP which is college CGEP. basically it's called CGEP okay. it's, it's an acronym in French what is but it it's, it's a college so you have to go through college before you yeah. go to university ah, okay. so we so when I graduated um, from high school yeah. That's when I decided that I would pursue official, like formal uh, jazz piano lessons. Even though I had okay. started already from a family friend, Eddie Prophet, when yeah. I was a kid. Like I told you, every Sunday we'd go, you know, to someone someone's house and go jam. He was yeah. my first teacher, 
and I actually oh. saw him the other day, not well, the other day, the 2019, right before COVID, actually. Okay. And I had just gotten my um, Steinway diploma, Steinway certificate, Steinway artist certificate. Oh, so yeah. I brought it back to his place to thank him. Oh, and we took a picture that's together. Awesome. Wow. Um, so um, he was my first formal like he started teaching me voicings and stuff like that but college is where i started taking a uh, formal jazz lessons okay so that prepared me to that prepared me for uh for mcgill yeah to get into mcgill yeah so um and mcgill was mcgill is a very traditional jazz school which yeah. I, which I, which I wanted. I wanted to learn, the, you know, the 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 tradition. I'm all about tradition. I, I, something about me is just, you know, I I love tradition. I love yeah. moving stuff, progress, being progressive, moving stuff forward, but with tradition. Uh -huh. So, so I decided to go to. I had options. I had a, I had been accepted at uh, University of Montreal as well, which is a little bit more commercial jazz. So they okay. they studied more like the '70s uh, fusion, you know, weather report stuff like that. McGill, yeah. you would learn about Charlie Parker. You know, that's mm -hmm. that's the difference. Yeah. Um, so, um, so being at McGill, I, um, you know, taught me a lot about you know, you know, uh, bebop, you know, all yeah. that that era, you know, of of jazz, mm -hmm. and um, and yeah, big I band mean, it, as well. Where they do big band, yeah, did you go big back band, and that? yeah, yeah. We did big band. Um, we did we. The best part for me about McGill was doing combo every other week, yeah. which combo class, our, our combo class, we had the opportunity to go perform at one of the biggest jazz clubs, well, biggest, um, famous, because it was yeah. a small jazz club, but I would say famous right, jazz right. club in Montreal yeah. called Upstairs. And okay. that really taught us how, you know, um, the etiquette, jazz etiquette, band, bandstand etiquette, that kind of stuff, you know. You, right. You know, being on time and, and, and knowing the music, playing the music by memory, you weren't allowed to play with charts. Oh, so really? we, they really forced us, even if we had like a, a, a song to learn for next class, you could not walk in there with a chart. And okay. if, you didn't, if you didn't do your homework and learning the actual music, you just you're like, out. you just, no, you're playing <laughs> and you're just like, you're fishing. You're like, oh, wow. You're yeah. trying to hear, you're forcing yourself to like hear it on the spot. <laughs> the teacher would okay. not allow any charts, and that's that was a big wow. thing. That was a big thing. Trial and by I, fire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you put your feet to the flame. So wow. So um, that's how it was. That's how it was. Um, that was a that was an uh, an amazing um, training for you know memory training and just just yeah. uh, and one of my teachers I still say to this day one of my teachers said you never play you're not playing the song until you actually get rid of the sheet. Ah, uh, yeah off book as it were yeah so if you're playing the song while reading you're not really playing the song you only mm -hmm. start really yeah. playing the song when you're off the off the uh off that's the music words sheet. of wisdom right there yeah, yeah. so then that yeah. sticks to me to this day yeah wow yeah well so if you were going back that far at mcgill really studying the origins of jazz and classic jazz what uh who i mean there's such a huge lineage of amazing jazz pianists. Who were your Who were your guys that you got the most inspiration from and took the most from? Oh, hands down, favorites? Herbie Hancock. Yeah, hands down. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Till this day, and funny thing is, I've become, you know, I don't want to say good friends, but we've we've become friends. Um, oh, I'll tell nice. you a story about Herbie. 
Um, yeah. Um, him and his daughter also, especially uh, nice. uh, close with his daughter, uh, um, yeah. Jessica. Um, Bill Evans, McCoy. Doesn't he have a song called Jessica? He's got yes, a song exactly. called Jessica. So when right. I met her, I was like, oh, you're the girl. <laughs> 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 exactly. That's yeah. crazy. Okay. Yeah, he named That's it his after daughter. Her. That makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Uh, Bill Evans, um, Horace mm-hmm. Silver, McCoy. Mm-hmm. Um, funny thing is, uh, my first jazz influence, um, piano influence, was Gonzalo Rubalcaba. Oh, yeah, God. I met him he when was... I was like 10 years old. He came to Montreal. Oh, yeah. He couldn't come to the States back then because he's Cuban. Right. And there was the embargo. Yeah, right. So right. no one in the States knew about him, but he would come to Montreal at the Jazz Fest, and I got to meet him backstage. Yeah. He signed uh, my program. Oh my God. Amazing, uh, yeah. amazing uh, piano player. Yeah. Jazz piano player. I'm pretty sure the year I got to go, I got to go play Montreal, uh, what's it called? Um, Montreux. Montreux, and yeah, Herbie yeah. was at it where I got to meet Herbie briefly. But I'm pretty sure Gonzalo was... Um, Quincy had like um, curated a group, and I'm pretty sure Gonzalo Rubalcaba no. was the piano player in it. I'm yeah, I sure. think I remember that. Yeah, I think I remember he that. Curate, yeah. Quincy didn't play; he kind of directed and curated it. But I'm pretty sure he was the piano. Player I think Quincy does that every year, head. actually. If or if, oh, it could if, be if re- not now, maybe back then. But I, Quincy was highly involved yeah. in the Montreux Jazz Festival. Yeah. I think he curated an entire show or something. Okay. Yeah, I only got to go once, so I, but it was that year and it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so wow. my story with Herbie, which is crazy about Herbie, is um, my first yeah. tour with Madonna. Uh huh. I know we're fast forwarding. I know you wanted to probably get to that later, but in oh, two thousand eight, okay. my first tour with Madonna. Yeah. Um. We get to uh, we get to L.A. Just a couple of days yeah. before L.A., I was like, who 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 would I who would I uh, want to invite to my show to Madonna? I was like, yeah. I don't know what made me say that, but I was like, let me see if I can get Herbie to come. So I looked him up. I guess I found a phone number or something or an email to his office. I can't remember. Okay. But I do remember talking to Jessica. So I'm telling Jessica, um, yeah, I love she, but she didn't introduce herself as Jessica yet. She was, you know, being the formal, you know, uh, secretary or whatever who's picking up the phone, whatever. So I'm telling yes. her. Yeah, I'd love to invite Herbie Hancock to my uh, to my concert. Actually, I actually had met Herbie. I actually had met Herbie like ten years prior to that. Um, Herbie was playing at the Blue Note in New York, and I decided to take a Greyhound bus from Montreal to to New York to go see Herbie Hancock in blue at the Blue Note. Wow! And um, got to see his show, and then okay. and I got to meet him that day. Took a picture yeah. with him, and wow. I asked him. I said. When are you going to Montreal? He said, I'm actually coming to Montreal in a couple of months for the Jazz Festival. I said, oh, oh wow, yeah. okay, crazy, good. And this is before the program was announced. So once the program was announced, I bought my tickets. I went okay. to see him there at that same room when I was doing concerts uh, yeah. at, in high school with the uh, Montreal right. Symphony Orchestra, La Place des Arts. Yes. So uh, I snuck in back there too, backstage after the show. <laughs> got to see him. Nice. And I said, hey, Herbie, okay. you remember me? He's like, yeah, I remember you from New York. And uh, I'm talking to Herbie, and guess who walks in? Chikoria. The girl in. Oh, wow. So Chikoria walks in. I'm like, oh, my God. 
Oh my god. <laughs> Surrounded by greatness. Oh wow. my god. So Chicory and Herbie are there. Hey Herbie, how you doing? So they're talking. I'm like, oh my god. And back then I had a little disposable camera. Okay. That's all I had on me. We didn't have these cell phones, you know, professional yeah. cameras. I had a disposable Kodak camera. Right. So I was like, um, guys, can I can we take a picture all of us together? This is backstage, no lighting, it's dark. We're right off the wing off the stage, so it was really dark. Okay. Yeah. So I had somebody take a picture. I'm in the middle with Chicory and Herbie with a big smile on my face. Take a picture. <laughs> the next day I run to the pharmacy, get the get the you know, get the film, whatever, developed. Right. The picture didn't come out. Oh no. It didn't make it because it was too dark. And back then uh. if it was too dark, they wouldn't even give you the, the, the picture. They just throw it away. I'm like, yeah. Are you kidding me? When I, when oh. am I going to meet Chick uh Chicory and Herbie at the same time? Yeah. Well, I well I did. <laughs> I was gonna say I have a feeling. Hollywood Bowl. This is okay. probably 27, 2018. I want to say. Hollywood yeah. Bowl. Herbie has a concert. Um, I go see him backstage, and I guess yeah. who walks in again? Chikoria. <laughs> wow. Oh and funny God. thing is that I had met Chikoria also again at the Blue Note a couple years back. Yeah. So I knew both of them now at the same time. I was like, okay, guys, you're both here at the same And I told them the story of the uh, disposable camera. And like, yeah. oh, man, okay, let's do it. Let's do this. Let's do it right this time. Let's do it. Come on. And I had my phone. I had somebody take a picture. And boom. Yes. <laughs> so never it, say it never. Was a return to, it was a return to forever, so to speak. It was. <laughs> <laughs> so I got awesome. my picture with Herbie and Chick at the same time. God rest his soul. Oh, that's incredible, man. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, I got, love. yeah. So, um, so to go love back it. to my other story. So later on, um. Um, Herbie came to see me. Fast forward, yeah. Herbie came to see me on the in the Madonna concert. I couldn't believe he accepted. Yeah, I, I, he he actually enjoyed the show. I didn't I didn't know what he would think, but I knew yeah. Herbie had an open mind. So I was like, oh, maybe yeah. he'll like the show. But he yeah. really enjoyed it. Okay. And um, his daughter came also. And and to this day, like we're you know we're they invite they they invite me to um, all of Herbie's concert whenever whenever I'm in town if he's playing at the Hollywood Bowl oh. or anything. Like oh, his his nice. daughter will be like yeah yeah come through come say hi, um, yeah. So yeah it's uh, yeah that's uh, yeah it's pretty pretty fun stories. Um, when your when your inspirations become friends and are really cool people at the same time, there's really nothing better, is there? And yeah, and they uh, say the you know do not meet your heroes, but Herbie yeah. Herbie's really the exception. I mean he's exactly what I thought he'd be. He's the nicest I man. Feel I always talk about that because I've heard that saying a million times, but like, I mean, out of like, I'm, I'm, you know, not, not in any way trying to brag, but I've been lucky to meet a bunch of my heroes as well. And 99% of them are cool as can be because they're grateful to be making a living in music, yeah. you yeah. know, and they're just humble and nice. Exactly. You only get a couple stinkers once in a while, but yeah, that's, they're pretty few and far between. But but that that was very telling for a young kid as well to see some like he's practically you know a god in music um yeah absolutely and um to see him so so humble you know it, yeah. it it's very revealing as a kid when you say you don't have to be a you don't have to be an a-hole yeah you know what i'm saying if no matter how no matter what level you get you don't have to be you don't have to be that guy right it's not just because so it set a pretty good example for me Yes. Um, 
at a very young age to see her be like so 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 cool and so um you know loving and just uh just yeah. just really nice man so yeah. yeah that rubs off on other people absolutely that's uh in addition to just being a good human being, it's true. You're setting an example for people who are coming kids up are and watching. exciting to meet people you. People are watching. Yeah, you know, absolutely. They're watching. They're wow. watching. So I was watching, and so I someone like that. Herbie and Chick who were so cool. Yeah, it's just you know, you you get you know you, when when you actually see like some of your peers who are not like that, you're like, okay, dude, you don't have to be like that. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. guaranteed, your hero is not like that. You know what I'm saying? So. Right. <clears throat> well, like we said, in most, you know, people being a-holes are few and far between. Most people are really grateful to be making a living in the music business so yeah. are, and are usually very cool. Well, we've talked about your classical upbringing. We've talked about jazz. And I want I, I just read this interesting footnote about you that we talked about when I saw you the other night. But you did this cool thing in Canada in 2002 called Motown Generation. Mm -hmm. And I know you grew up, you were saying you grew up with Earth, Wind & Fire and all kinds of soul groups too. But talk about jumping into that. Were you a big Motown guy? Did you know Earl Van Dyke's like piano style? Like how, how did you prepare and jump into that? What was that experience like? Um, that was actually one of As my a first, piano player. That was actually my second production show. Oh, wow. I had done a, I had done a production show, um, just a couple months before that. So, yeah. So, um, that kind of experience was amazing. That was my first yeah. time like leaving home and going was i touring yet i don't think i was touring yet um so that was my first time actually leaving home and going away um you know uh -huh. in a residency somewhere so we were in quebec city gotcha. and we okay. had a residency at uh, le capital and uh, that was about a month or something a month and okay. a half or something um back then yeah. So that was a really good experience, and one of my mentors, and he's actually still a good friend today, Tony Albino, um, mm. he was playing drums. Uh, he helped me get into that, get into that scene, because like I yeah. said, I was I was coming out of classical music, and right. then when I studied jazz, I was a jazz snob. So anything outside <laughs> yeah. of that, I was like, no, I don't want to do R and B. I don't want to do that stuff. You know, this I want to yeah. do the sophisticated music. So, right. so meeting Tony really opened up my eyes on a more professional level, not as a as a music listener as a, as a uh -huh. kid, but as a professional player at that point. Just opening my yeah. ears to different styles of music, how how music is, how piano is played, how keyboard parts are played, and different styles of music. So yeah. um, that was really good training for me. We did that for about a month and a half, and. Yeah. Um, and a couple of months after that, I went on tour, my first European tour with uh, an artist called Corneille, and he was yeah, a friend I of read mine. About also. That as well. Yeah, okay. He was a friend of mine. We used to play in the clubs all the time, and then, lo and behold, he bec he gets like a platinum, multi-platinum selling. He makes a multi-platinum yeah. selling album when we're touring all across, Amazing. all across Europe, especially France. And um, wow. And then not too long after that. Yeah, it was just just touring and working and and I'm and then mind you, I'm still in school. I'm still in school yeah, okay. doing all of this. So so how does that work? I graduated I from McGill at, in 2003, but I started touring okay. around 2000, I believe. 
Oh, okay. So, um, so it was just navigating. So, kind of like my last year at McGill was all a blur. It was just, it was a complete blur. I bet. Like some people didn't yeah. even know I graduated. I still, still get asked, "Did you graduate?" <laughs> like, yeah, I did. <laughs> you okay. were already out there working. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 Well, that's interesting because I, I mean, I can think of a few examples like, um, you know, the whole wrecking crew scene. Those guys were all came from jazz, too, but we're yeah. playing on Beach Boys and all kinds of different, you know, records like that. Dr. And John. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I got many to work people. With Dr. John, too. That's why I read that, too, <clears throat> man. I wanted to talk to you about that because the, the New Orleans piano style with Professor Longhair and all these mm. different folks. Uh, I just love so I wonder what kind of a you know obviously all these people who we know the names of grew up listening to other stuff and were inspired by other stuff maybe jazz maybe you know whatever it was but are playing a you know a whole new style and I wonder you know what kind of an influence the, the New Orleans thing had on you with Dr. John and and Professor Longhair and I mean I was, I was even before then I was a huge you know New Orleans culture mm. music fan yeah. all that stuff yeah. so when i got the gig with dr john uh, and i was actually hired to kind of come in and um kind of curate the show in a way like put the whole show okay. like basically md it yeah but i had to work with <laughs> i had to work with dr john's band oh yeah so dr. what john year and was I, this that you work with dr this john this is um, right? geez, oh wow like it's what maybe record 10 years was ago? he? Okay. I want to say maybe yeah. ten years ago, maybe seven, seven to ten years ago. I can't remember. Okay. Um, Some friends of mine did a record with him. Uh, these guys from New York. Um, what was that record called? Like, is it uh, the last one? Uh, that was such a good record. Um, it was a funky record. It's like, uh, oh shoot, I've got it. It's let me let me look real quick. Hold on. Lockdown. Lockdown? Is this one? Yeah, do you know this one? Lockdown? Yeah. It's on. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like, Is it this? It's like Leon and uh, Nick from L. Michaels. Yeah, like, yeah. That's a I great. Think doc, I think maybe Dan. Oh, yeah, Dan Auerbach. That is Black a great Keys album. So It's a great record, right? It's a great album. So funny thing is, is that when I heard this album and I started working with him, I had included yeah. a couple of these songs. Okay. He wasn't really playing a lot of these songs on his, on his tour. Okay. So, but he was open. He was open to like new ideas and stuff. That's why they brought me in. But, yeah. <laughs> so he had approved a whole bunch of stuff that I had done. Decided he was in L.A. We would you know talk and, you know prepare the show for uh, uh, before uh, I flew out to uh, New Orleans. But yeah. when I got to New Orleans. It, you know, it's you come. You're the you're the guy from out of town coming in, and he already had uh -huh. his band right. that's used to playing their set. So it was sure. like it was kind of a struggle. So sure. that didn't that experience didn't last too long. Um, okay, it's always a it's always a, an interesting experience where where uh, an MD comes in with a band that's already there, and right. they're used to doing ways. They're used to doing things their way. Sure, and. And at first, Doctor Doctor John was he was loving my stuff, but he was obviously influenced by his band. And uh, when the band yeah. wasn't feeling it, they were like, "Okay, thank you." Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, okay, that kind of right. that kind of sucked a little bit, but 
but he, well, Dr. John himself was a great, he was great to work with. He was just uh, being yeah. in the same room and just interacting with him. That was so cool. Amazing. Well, so how do I mean, obviously, you're a, I, I'm a hack piano player and you're a very gifted piano player. But when I think of things like, you know, Earl Van Dyke with uh, with all the uh, Motown stuff and I think of Dr. John with the New Orleans thing, like these are very stylized ways of playing piano. Like, yeah. how do you do you just, just go in and immerse yourself in that for like months before yeah. you get, you know, I mean, you study, yeah. you, actually, you, you know, you study the music, you study the greats, you, you study, yeah. you listen to it, you, you, like you said, you immerse yourself into it. Um, yeah. And um, it's like same thing, like with countries, the same thing with um, gospel. I mean, every music yeah. has, yes, music is a universal language, but yeah. um, every style of music is a different dialect. So yes. you, you kind of have to learn each different style you can't you can't just you can't just um play like let's say like um all these f crazy jazz chords on a country song you know per se right. you know you can't, <laughs> right there's certain stuff that you you know you don't typically typically do yeah so no minor sevens yeah no no you know no sharp elevens <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's uh that's uh that's that's an interesting aspect of music and learn and 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 working in different styles. And that was the great thing about Montreal. Again, mm. because Montreal was, is so integrated. That's what you said, yeah. You're, uh, you know, um, I mean, you're surrounded by every culture in Montreal. It's Right. Montreal is really underrated for that because you're not only going, you know, growing up, you're not only going to, you know, different houses, your friend's house, house and, and eating their, you know, their food and listening to the music and learning about their culture. It also reflects in in the music scene as well, right? So you could be playing R and B one weekend, and then playing an playing an Arabic show the next weekend, and then playing a, a, right. a Cuban show the next weekend, and then you're playing Brazilian music the other weekend because yes. it's all integrated. Everyone just going, everyone just went and checked out each other's each other's show, and you hear about nice someone who's that. talented. Who's oh yeah, just get him. You didn't you didn't think of. Oh, is that person? Can that person play this type of music? No, because we listen to it all the time. We're like surrounded yeah. by each other's music all the time. So it's just a matter of listen to this, listen to the music, and oh yeah, I remember this. I remember growing up and going to my friend's place and listen to this, <laughs> listening to you know, right. you know, the, uh, uh, whatever um, Arabic music, and you're like, yeah. oh okay, this is that's a language. Okay, cool, and yeah. you just you just have fun. You just have fun. So that kind of that kind of stayed with me. You know, growing up even as a professional, um, leading up to my my professional career, is yeah. just like just being open to to all types of music and being familiar with all types of music. Yeah, sounds like Montreal is very similar to places you know L.A. Obviously, same thing. It's just there's different cultures everywhere in New York, obviously, but uh, it's still not the same. Was. It's still how, not how the so? same because L.A. Munch, L.A. and New York are a little bit more segregated. Than mm -hmm. Montreal. Montreal's mixed up. Especially, a bit more. yeah, because Montreal is really like when I say like it's really mixed. Like my best friends to this yeah. day, this is my crew. <laughs> okay, Palestinian, yeah. Armenian, uh -huh. uh, Italian, and um, Jewish. Okay. Those are my f those are my four like day one guys that I'm still best friends with right now. 
Nice. nice. And that's that's yeah. those are the guys that I I I grew up. I grew yeah. up like since like I said since high school, and we're still best friends to this day. Awesome. You know, I don't know if there's. I mean, I'm sure there is, but I don't want to say like, there isn't any out there. But but Montreal is really, really integrated. Like, yes, there's a lot of cultures in New York. There's a lot of cultures in L.A. Yeah. But is there still there's still uh, uh, there's still something now that Montreal offers that no other city in the world offers? And is that why do you think that is? What's your what's your insight on that? Why do you think? Well, for one that? thing, a lot of us are first generation. Mm. A lot of us are first generation. Our parents moved to Montreal, like mainly, you know, throughout the fifties, sixties, and seventies. Yeah. So, so um, it's a fairly young city, you know, in a way. Right. Even though I think it's, yeah. I think we just passed the three hundred fiftieth anniversary or something. But in terms yeah. of, you know, the geopolitical aspect of things, and our parents, you know, fleeing, you know, um, um, civil wars and stuff like that. You know, especially like yeah. in Haiti, we had you know the uh, dictator for and his son for over i think 40 years or something a lot of our parents moved out you know to new york to florida to montreal and that was a lot of the t that was around the same time where a lot of parents were just fleeing their countries and trying to right. you know trying to trying to start a new life with with with, uh, with their new family so a lot of us are were first first generation so Interesting, yeah we had just a, you know we had a, we had that in common first of all first and foremost we had that in common right. without even knowing you're just you know like i said i was playing ball hockey and i was a kid and you know i was playing with hindus i was playing with italians i was playing with greeks i was playing yeah. with jamaicans i was playing you know with other haitians that's how i grew yeah. up you know in montreal yeah. in, in in that right. neighborhood Côte right. yeah. so <clears throat> so you you um you get you get to um you get to learn about a lot of um, different cultures at a very young age, Amazing. and I don't yeah. know. I don't know if there's any. I don't know if there's any like just to bring it back to like the compar the comparison with other major American cities. I don't think. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of cultures in those cities, but I don't know if they're as integrated as Montreal. That's true. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, L.A. is. Thank God we had, you know, like busing programs here where, you know, schools were integrated, you know, bringing in different neighborhoods to different schools and you were mingling with different, you know, all kinds of different cultures. But you're right. The neighborhoods are very separated here. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely true. Yeah. 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 Interesting. <clears throat> well, um, um, we <laughs> took a fire, fire, fire turn from music. <laughs> <laughs> An interesting one, though. An interesting one. Hey, you know, culture plays as much in music as anything else does. So yeah. that's a equally interesting story. Um, but yeah, let's let's talk about. Um, you had a, a period in 2005 where you were working with Cirque du Soleil, and I've had a few friends work with them, and I'm interested to hear how your time was with that. And I'm also interested. Uh, I've seen an interview with you talking about how. Cirque was kind of your main reason for picking up the accordion, and it mm -hmm. led to a lot of great things for you, one of yeah. which being uh, playing with Madonna. So I'd love to hear about your time with Cirque, what you learned, and uh, and talk about the accordion and all it brought and how important uh, learning different instruments is. So after doing Motown Generation, well, like, like I said, it was um, one of my first experiences as uh, performing in a production show. Um, yeah. I did, yeah, Cirque du Soleil. Cirque du Soleil called me because my wife 
Desi DeLauro. She before yes. we met, she was uh, one of the uh, one of the uh, uh, what do you call that? The uh, she was basically one of the, uh, the she was the first singer of La Nuba. Okay. She was part of the original cast. That's what I meant to say. She was part of the original oh, okay. cast of La Nuba. So okay. she was there for a couple of years. Um, this is before we met. So when we finally met, her and I started working on original music together. And hmm. and the Cirque, Cirque crowd started noticing the work we were doing together. So they would come out to our shows, to our showcases. Oh, yeah. And yes. I was always a guy about, you know, not just performing music, but being conceptual. So I would do, yeah. <laughs> this is, this is how like really like lo-fi my stuff was. I had these <laughs> ideas of, you know, I had this idea of, you know, um, of Desi landing from Orlando back to Montreal, coming back home. She had a song called, um, I can't remember the name of the song, but the, the, the name of the concept of the song was her leaving and coming back home, uh, okay. coming back. I think it was called. So okay. I had in my mind during the show to put a sound effect of a plane taking off oh, yeah. at the beginning of the song and yeah. then landing at the end of the song. And funny, funny, it's funny that I have this here. So what did I do? I sampled it and put it and I put it on a CD, oh, a yeah. little CD player by, right by my keyboard. Uh -huh. And I would press play and you'd hear the sample go off. I didn't know how to sample back then. So I just press play <laughs> and you hear the, yeah. you hear the, the plane taking off start yeah. the song then so i was already like you know Producing. in the mind of i'm in the mind of <laughs> conceptual you know performing yeah. so cirque the cirque crowd the cirque yeah. heads were in the room when they saw that ah. so funny thing is a few months later i get a call and say hey ricky we want to talk to you about being a musical director on our first arena show oh wow so there was their it was their first because you know obviously cirque they tour in tents this was yeah. their first arena show and okay yeah so when 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 i when desi and i heard the concept um we we're like uh yeah so the musicians were actually featured and the acrobats were you know integrating to what the music was doing not vice versa uh, right so right, we right. were front and center front and center on stage and the crazy concept about this show is that the arena the stage would separate would go from one end of the arena to the other like you oh, go to wow. a typical rock show, the stage yeah. is all the stages on one side of the arena. Our stage sure. was dead, dead in the middle of the arena. So we had wow. to play to two sides. We had Whoa. to play to two sides of the of the arena. Amazing. <clears throat> so the way the accordion came about, there was two songs that had an accordion. We didn't have an accordion player, so I told uh -huh. Cirque du Soleil, I said, if you guys, you know, pay for a couple of lessons on the accordion. I'll yeah. play it. I'll play the part. So that's how I started playing accordion. Yeah. Um, and I had a great teacher back in Montreal, Lucio, and um, okay. and he taught me the basics, basic basics of accordion playing. Um, hmm. And to this day, I'm still playing accordion. I actually have a, a wedding, an Italian wedding gig in three weeks in Bel Air, oh, where nice. I got to play accordion. <laughs> oh, awesome! So the accordion, and so so the accordion in every single tour, major tour I've done, I've been able to integrate the accordion in it. So Madonna, how cool! Madonna called, but Madonna, um, she heard about me and she called me. Uh, she was looking for a, a new band back yeah. for her 2008 Sticky and Sweet tour. Yeah. And um, she, uh, when she heard I played accordion on top of playing keyboards. 
and she yeah. heard I played for Cert. She was like, "Okay, get this guy." So that's how I got uh, the Madonna gig. The accordion gave me a gave me a gave me an advantage. So every single tour yeah. I've done since then, I've done Cher, I've done Diana Ross, Christina, wow. all of them. I've ended up I played accordion. Jock Doctor John, I played accordion. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So. So, yeah. Are you? Are there traditional accordion players you love, like Flaco Jimenez or any of the big accordion people? You know what's crazy is that I don't really study a lot of accordion players per se. Okay. Yeah. I, I actually what I do a lot is actually take a lot of the pop songs that I play. Yeah. And I learn them on accordion. Okay. Well, pop song like non-classical songs. So one of yeah. one of them was is. Um, Jaco Pastorius' um, Portrait of Tracy. I learned that oh, on accordion. God, that and I performed so that for Roland. Roland was doing a, an 808 Day special concert. Oh. And they asked me to introduce the accordion because it was they were introducing yeah. their flagship accordion. So I ended up playing oh. Portrait of Tracy on accordion. So oh, that's, that's the kind that. of stuff. Is it recorded anywhere? It's, Can I hear it, Ricky? It's. You know what? I'm going to re-record it. Because oh, I, I think it's it is so recorded, beautiful. but Roland wanted to put it online, and Jacko's estate said no because oh. it was promoting a product, and yeah. not you know if it was just Jaco. me jamming, yeah. playing, they would have said okay, yeah, sure, put it online. Yeah. But Roland wanted to get the rights uh, from Jacko's estate, yeah, and they said right. no. So, uh, and when I asked Roland, can I get the recording at least? They said, no, we don't. We can't take that chance of putting it out there. Uh, so I'm going to, because that was pretty, that was pretty fun to do. So I'm I going bet. to, I want to, I want to re-record it. I'm going to, I'm going to do that just for you, Dan. I'm going to do ah, that just for you. you. <laughs> yes. That song is just so beautiful. Yeah, I'm so intrigued to hear how you, tra how you translate it onto the accordion. Amazing. I actually have a video right now. Of, of me playing uh, Portrait of Tracy on keyboard. Oh, cool. So You got to um, send me, man. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's on YouTube. Yeah, I'll send that to you. That's on oh, YouTube. Oh, thank you, man. And that's actually, wow, more, that's that's so actually cool. my most viewed video to this day. Oh, I bet. I yeah. bet. <clears throat> oh, please send me a link. Well, we're running out of time here, and I want to get to, I mean, you've done so much amazing stuff. I could talk to you for hours and hours, Ricky. And, uh, Having fun. This is a, some great, you're bringing up some really cool topics. Oh, good. I'm happy. Well, you bring up your wife, Desi DeLauro, and I want to talk about your group because you guys, Parlor Social, and mm -hmm. I want to just talk about what you guys are up to because it's such a cool, unique blend of stuff with kind of the Harlem Renaissance jazz and, and a contemporary kind of sound too. And I just want to hear what's going on with the group, um, what's new, what's happening with the group. Well, like I, like I told you earlier, I'm, I'm, I'm all about tradition. And, yeah. and moving tradition forward. So that yeah. that's how Parlor Social came about. It was about paying homage to the Harlem Renaissance culture yeah. and and moving it forward. So both Desi and I were, you know, we're highly influenced by you know, traditional jazz, you know, the Dukes and the Cabs and all of that. Yeah. Um, she grew up um, with surrounded by music as well. She's the only yeah. musician in her direct family. Um, okay. but but in terms of um, how much she was exposed to music, she was exposed to a lot of music. So she never studied music, but she listened. She just she's self-taught basically. Oh yeah. 
So us coming together, me coming from, you know, a bachelor's degree from McGill and all of that and her, you know, being self-taught, it was yeah. just a perfect marriage of, you know, the best of both worlds where we still understood each other. I didn't have to talk about chords to her. She'd just hear it. Yeah. So if, I, right. if she would sing something and I'd play a chord behind it or vice versa, if, if I play like, again, a sharp 11 chord, she could still hear it. She wouldn't know Amazing. what to call it. But yeah. she could hear it and she could, you know, I live around Imagine. it. Wow. Um, so, Parlor Social came about the idea of taking traditional Parlor uh, Renaissance music, but bring, bring it to the 21st century with like some modern sounds, um, yeah. but still like cool horn arrangement, big band arrangements and stuff, but with a yeah. funky, funky swing, yeah. you know, type of thing back, you know, with a backbeat um, yeah. synth. Uh, keyboard um, oh key bass now we call it um, and I'm striding okay. on the piano and Desi's yeah. singing like some R&B jazzy, jazzy type of stuff on top yeah. so that's the concept of Prada Social so we started that maybe back in 20 I want to say our first single was in 2010 While You're Ragging and then the first album was I believe 2012 Okay. Uh, called uh, This Is Neo Ragtime and then 2015 yeah. we released an EP um, yeah. and by the time we released that EP we had gotten the rights to Cap Calloway's Heidi Ho oh, so yeah. I was able to sample chop up Heidi Ho and create a new wow. beat to it and, no um, and uh, you got yeah, the master tape How'd, what'd you do? no I no I just how did I do it um I don't know I just I just chopped it up. I just chopped up the yeah. Heidi 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 and just chopped it up. Yeah. You know from from oh, the two track from the masters, right. not the masters, but from the uh, from the uh, from the original release and just um, yeah. created a a whole different you know song with it. Oh, I'd love to hear that um, too. I haven't heard that. Yeah. Um, what else is out awesome. there? I mean, we have a we have music. Oh wow! Yeah, we have music arranged by um, strings. Arranged by none other than Benjamin Wright, strings oh, wow. and horns. A different. So we did a we did a cover of um, of uh, I put a spell on you, and oh, I yeah. asked one of my mentors, Benjamin Wright, to write an arrangement. Oh, and cool. if people don't know who Benjamin Wright is, I mean, he's written arrangements, orchestral arrangements for, for some everybody. of your favorite songs out there. Um, Michael Jackson, yeah. Off the Wall, that whole album. That's yeah. him. Justin Timberlake, right. all of those strings on any album, right. that's him. Raphael yep. Sadiq, Outkast, Love Below, all that that Grammy-winning Best Album of the Year album, all the strings yeah. you hear on that, that's Benjamin yes. Wright. Um, Earth, Wind & Fire, Boogie oh, Wonderland, yeah. that's all him. So, so just to show you who Benjamin Wright is, so he's another story. Gotta dig, like a, people. He's another he's another yeah. similar similar story to Herbie Hancock where I just like did some research and emailed and then ended up becoming really good friends um, yeah. after that. That's so um, so that's yeah so that's um, that's part of social. Um, so at so post COVID cool. post COVID I mean we 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 performed at the Hollywood Bowl um, back in 2017 I want to say, yeah. and that was a pretty okay. big deal for us for being an original local local band with playing yeah. and being asked to play our original music at the Hollywood wow. Bowl. So we yeah. had a full set um, at the um, uh, the Playboy Jazz Fest. 
Oh, so wow. I would say that would that would be like probably like one of the most epic things that, that we've done. Um, oh yeah. Um, in terms in terms of a band, and then COVID hit, and um, we decided because we were losing so much money, uh, just you know, as original artists yeah. and especially the size of a that kind of a the size of a band like that, we were losing a lot of money and during uh during the pandemic uh this and i both decided that we should slow down a little bit with probably social if we wanted to like survive in la sure. if we actually sure. just celebrated 15 years in la we've been we've been oh, in wow. la 15 years so okay. that's uh it's a lot of, it came with a lot of sacrifice and that was one of those sacrifices just like okay we have to we have a decision to make we're still performing actually breaking yeah. news we're performing uh the newport beach jazz fest Oh, um, on nice. June fourth, um, they down. should be announcing that pretty soon. But that's pretty much uh, it's pretty much out there. Okay. So June fourth, I think it's our set is at eleven thirty. We're doing like a a brunch set or something um, from oh, eleven thirty to twelve fifteen. We'll be performing at the Newport Beach Jazz Festival. I'm writing it in my in my. Uh calendar here now ricky remind me though we'll of course stay in touch i want yeah, to come yeah. see you guys that sounds amazing yeah yeah wow so yeah we're still doing shows here and there but not as uh not as uh not as uh aggressive as, as we used to be because back then we just lost money like, like almost every show we sure. lose money so now we're just taking gigs where we're actually making money because we just couldn't sustain the it. rent and the mortgage keeps coming man you gotta you gotta go where the where yeah. the bills get paid and uh it sounds like you guys are both doing amazing stuff and uh yeah Desi's working uh, on her I originals just, she's releasing original music okay. and i'm releasing music um i've been really working on music by um unheralded black classical composers and there's like yeah there's like a a a a, a a deep 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 history of black composers and classical music that's just not yes that's just not exposed so that's what that's what i've been working on this last couple of years i was i saw an interview i think it was your steinway interview where you were talking about going to the british library in london yes. and researching people like william grant still and george walker and all these amazing black composers and I'd love to. Yeah, talk we can about talk that. about that what? another time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's okay. that's going to be stuff to come. There's oh, going to be some yeah. cool stuff happening. Uh, we're working on a lot of stuff, so uh, we could oh, we could man. revisit this. Okay, good. We'll do a part two. <laughs> part two. Part two. <laughs> part two. Exactly. Oh man. Well, Ricky, I'm inspired by you, and I'm so grateful for you taking the time uh, and telling all these great stories for our listeners. Um, continued success to you and Desi both and um thanks so much for coming on the conduit today man we appreciate you thank you appreciate you dan and, and shout out to scott and shout out to yes. Crew studio for hooking yes, this up and um i'm really Absolutely. grateful thank you for having me my pleasure man thanks so much for coming on all right take care all right brother take care bye bye all right hope you enjoyed this episode of the conduit the Conduit is brought to you by Crew S Studio and DanUbeProductions.com. Many thanks to the folks at Squadcast, Polymash, Captivate, We Edit Podcasts, Universal Audio, Audio Technica, Sure, and Avid. 
Extra special thanks to my brothers from other mothers, Scott Power, Bill Coulter, and Alex Dezer. And last but not least, go check out Soul Pitman, my hand-picked music playlists on notrealart.com. Until next time, this is Dan Ubik, signing off.